so much, David. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. You know, if you've been around Lake City long, then you're familiar with my Christmas prayer sermons and our prayer emphasis this time of year. And this year I came across this great Old Testament passage that I want to share with you to sort of help prepare our hearts for our season of corporate prayer this week. So please open up your Bibles and join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20. Page 372 if you're taking the Bible from the rack under the chair in front of you. 372 is the page number, 2 Chronicles 20 is where we're at. And please find your sermon notes, pull those out of your bulletin, or open them up on your app as well. And my topic this morning is prayer changes everything, and in particular, the power of corporate prayer. We're looking today at an incident in the life of King Jehoshaphat. It's a story about how prayer brought a great military victory for Israel. And it's such an encouraging story. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. It begins with a description, first of all, of the need that they had. So that's the first couple of verses here in, in 2 Chronicles 20. Here's how it begins. A crisis was threatening the nation. This is the description. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So note that the chapter begins with the words, after this. So I want to take a minute and explain what that refers to, the context. So Jehoshaphat was basically a pretty good king. In fact, one of the best kings since King David. During his reign, there was mostly peace and prosperity in Judah because he was a man of God's book. More than anything, he wanted to do what God said. So he was the king of the southern kingdom during the divided kingdom. He was the king of Judah. Up north was King Ahab, quite an evil king. And although Jehoshaphat basically sought God and tried to follow God's law, he made some foolish decisions along the way that nearly cost him his life. One of them was to join forces with King Ahab and go to war against the king of Syria. Jehoshaphat repented of that foolish decision and then return, returned wholeheartedly back to God and made reforms that led Judah into this season of spiritual reformation. And it was after that near-death experience in battle and these reforms that this threat arose that we're reading about in chapter 20. It was a surprise attack from the southeast. Three nations suddenly moved against Judah. So look at this map and kind of get an idea of where they're coming from. Okay, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites who came from the area, the region of Edom. Without warning, they march around the southern side of the Dead Sea and they set up camp in in Gedi, just about 40 miles from the capital city of Jerusalem. The attack came from three nations that were sort of nursing these ancient hostilities. The, they had long memories of perceived slights and anger that simmered over the years. But the danger was very real for Judah because another two days and these, this army, this enemy, could be right on their doorstep in Jerusalem. And this was a very serious test of Jehoshaphat's faith and also of his leadership. What would he do? You know, a person does many, can do many things in a time of crisis. Some give up, some panic, some pretend there's no, 
No problem whatsoever. They deny anything. Okay? Well, verse 3 reveals his pivotal, his pivotal response. Look at verse 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast. Everything turns on that decision. That was the decisive moment in the story that we're reading. That's the need. That's the problem. Next, we're going to read about the prayer that Jehoshaphat prays. See, Jehoshaphat did something that by human standards really makes little sense. He had a large, well-trained army. It would have made perfect sense if he had called out the army at that point. You know, get the guns. Humanly speaking, that would have made much more sense, but not this time. All right, Jehoshaphat instead called a nationwide fast, and he asked people to come join him in Jerusalem for a prayer meeting. Now, that's crazy by all human standards. You know, common sense says don't waste any time. There's a, there's a time to pray, but there's a time to fight. It's time to fight. But no, Jehoshaphat says now is the time to pray. We need it more than ever. And his prayer stands for us as one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible. I'm going to read it for you. It's rather lengthy. It begins at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and we cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The prayer begins like this. Make no mistake. It, uh, Jehoshaphat begins by focusing their attention on who God is, his greatness. Finally, and only when he's halfway through the prayer does he even mention the problem. But even in stating the problem, God himself is still the focus, God's greatness, God's promises. It's a great prayer because it is so saturated with Scripture. And it focuses on God as he's revealed himself to us in Scripture, in the Word. Okay, listen, if we fill our prayers with the greatness of our problems, our faith will shrivel. But if we fill our prayers with the greatness of our God and what he has done through history, it will strengthen our faith. Or as someone has well said, big God, little problems, big problems, little God. Okay, so note the end of 
the prayer again, verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. One of the most touching expressions of faith in God found anywhere in the Bible. It's exactly where God wants all of us to be as well, by the way. That's ground zero in our spiritual lives. And I believe that God will do whatever it takes, including allowing pain, allowing disappointment into our lives in order to get us to that place. Well, that's the prayer of Jehoshaphat as the people gather at the temple in Jerusalem. And the answer was not long in coming. Let's read now about the answer to his prayer. All right. As the people are assembled at the temple, God speaks to them through a prophet. So we read about that in verses 13 to 15. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Simple message. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The battle isn't yours. The battle belongs to God. So take a moment to savor that last phrase. The battle is not yours, but God's. Some of you are dealing with some battles, some crises today. This is a reminder for us as well. The battle is not ours. It belongs to God. But imagine how encouraged Jehoshaphat must have been to hear those words. And then the prophet went on to give very specific instructions, beginning in verse 16. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeru. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Three, th three things stand out in those instructions. First, tomorrow you're going to march down and meet the enemy. Second, you're going to stand firm in your positions, but you won't have to fight. And third, he said, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And then two things happen next. Look for them as we continue at verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. First, King Jehoshaphat bows down to the ground, and the rest of the people do the same. They fall down on the ground to worship the Lord. And then second, the Levites and other singers stand up, and they begin to praise God and to lead them in a loud voice of worship. And now we get to the fun part of the story, the victory itself in verses 20 to 30. See, the next morning, the army of Judah begins to move out to meet the enemy. But this is the strangest battle formation in history. Verse 20 says this, And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. 
And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and said, or say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Can you imagine that? All right, here comes the army of Judah, thousands of armed men ready for battle, but who's leading the column? Who's leading the charge? It's not the scouts, it's not the archers or the warriors or the infantry or the mighty men. It's the choir. The choir led the way. Uh, I don't know where Pastor Mark is this morning, but last night I said, Pastor Mark, how you, how you like this plan? How would you like that assignment? The, chronicle, the chronicler of Israel, the writer of this history, makes it clear. God used the worship of the choir to defeat the enemy. Worship is an important part of our spiritual warfare. So this was a bold, audacious move. Even the, sing- the singers themselves were either going to be killed in a great slaughter or else God was going to come through in a miracle. And what Jehoshaphat did seemed like nonsense, but honestly, it made perfect God sense. I love this. You know, military strategists tell us that few things are more important in battle than achieving the element of surprise. If your enemy doesn't know you're coming and you take him by surprise, you might have a chance to to hit him and get him off guard and, and win right from the outset. But the army of Judah gave up this element of surprise. Here they come down the road, led by the choir, singing at the top of their lungs. There was no surprise where they were, all right? And they weren't singing a patriotic hymn or a military march. They were singing a worship song to God. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. My guess is I I picture them over and over singing and lifting their praise higher and higher. My guess is the rest of the army joined in. So they were thundering, you know, as they got close to the battlefield, thundering the sound of praise across the arid hills toward En Gedi. Here's a picture of, of sort of where they met. Okay, as the, the men of Judah come closer, the sound of singing confused the enemy army. Precisely what happens, we're not told. The Bible simply says the Lord sent an ambush against them. Maybe God sent his holy angels to join the battle somehow, or maybe he caused them to fall into their own traps and fight each other and kill each other. Who knows? But once it started, there was no stopping it. And meanwhile, the army of Judah kept on marching toward the enemy armies. When they arrived at the plateau overlooking the valley, the battlefield below, all they saw was dead bodies, corpses drying in the hot desert wind. That's all they could see, a valley full of bodies. Not one of them killed by their army, by the way. In their confusion, they had killed each other. And verse 24 is very specific. The Bible says this, none had escaped, not one. No commander ever had an easier battle than this. Okay? We can turn the map off now. No commander ever had an easier battle than this. He didn't fire a shot. He didn't lose a man. And not only had he won the battle, the battle was over before he arrived. Not bad at all. So here's how the rest of the story went. It took three days just to pick up and carry away the plunder of the enemy, okay, their uniforms and equipment and their weapons and treasure, verse 25 says. On the fourth day, they had a big praise gathering in the Valley of Baraka, which means the Valley of Praise. 
When they got back to Jerusalem, they had another big worship celebration at the temple. And finally, when the other temples heard what happened, excuse me, the other nations heard what happened, they decided to leave the people of God alone. Wise choice, wouldn't you say? Verse 30 says, So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. I love that. So why do you think God records a story like this for us to read in the Bible? First of all, I think it's to show us his greatness, his power and majesty. But I think there's also some lessons for us to learn as it relates to to praise and to prayer. Here's some lessons that stand out to me, three principles of powerful prayer. First is prayer is our strongest weapon. Most Christians know here, right here in their heads, that prayer is important. But we don't often live it out like we see illustrated here. And Jehoshaphat illustrates how to truly make prayer a priority. Although there were many things he could have done, he recognized the most important thing he could do was to lead the people in prayer, to gather them together and pray. Lesson two is a simple prayer in great faith honors God. A simple prayer in great faith honors God. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, you know, that we have to pray sort of elaborate prayers for God to hear them. Listen, God is not impressed by fancy words or eloquence. In fact, I believe what God loves best is simple prayers offered to him in sincere faith, a childlike faith. And the power of Jehoshaphat's prayer was in the fact that it was filled with Scripture and that it focused almost entirely on God, his greatness and his promises. And then he simply asked God to work on their behalf, save us from our enemies for your sake, for the sake of your name and your people. Friend, when troubles come into our lives, we can do what Jehoshaphat did. We need to find a promise in the word of God and stand on it. When there's someone else in our life that needs a touch from God, we can do what Jehoshaphat did. We can remind God of his promises and wait in faith. But keep your prayers simple and focus on who he is. Okay, And then don't forget to praise him. Don't forget to worship him for who he is. Praise is the evidence of our faith. Think about it. There were many ways that God could have defeated the armies, the enemy armies assembled against Judah. But he picked a way. He he appointed a way that demanded the active participation of his people. I love that. Okay, They had to march out in faith and do their part. A simple prayer along with great faith honors God. Lesson three is corporate prayer best unleashes God's power. Corporate prayer. Okay, God used the prayers of a nation gathered together as one people. And we call that corporate prayer. There's great power in it. Friend, it's no coincidence that God used a corporate prayer meeting in Jerusalem to birth his church, Acts 1 and 2. And then that the early church was committed to corporate prayer. We see that throughout the book of Acts. And then when the church met to pray, God gave them more boldness for evangelism. And then God delivered Peter from prison when the early church gathered together in corporate prayer. That's no coincidence at all. And then think about the words of Jesus. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
There I am in their midst, right? It's safe to conclude God intends us to be devoted to corporate prayer. He really does. So with that as background, I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning about our strategy here at Lake City for corporate prayer. This is something we work hard at at Lake City, and here are some strategies that we've implemented to help us maintain a strong focus on this. There are seven of them listed on your notes there. The first one is small group prayer. So I love the fact that our small groups put a priority on praying together. I want to thank Pastor Reg and our small group leaders and our small group coaches for keeping that priority strong. And I want to thank all of you who are in small groups for keeping that uh, critical to your small groups and their meetings. It works, but it's a a lot of work to keep that uh, at the forefront. So I want to read an email that was sent to me this past week about this very thing. I was given permission to share this with you. Dear Pastor Jim, I want you to know how thankful I am that we are a church that prays. I had been praying for my next-door neighbor, Netta, who had not been in any church for many years. Three years ago when we were doing the Andy Stanley study called Go Fish, she observed our small group of single women meeting every Sunday for dinner and fellowship and Bible study, and she asked if she could join us. I had invited her to church many times, but she always had an excuse. Well, she came to our small group, and we all began to pray for her salvation, and I also added her to our weekly prayer email. A few weeks later, she came to know our living Lord. Amen. Two months ago, she had a stroke and was moved into assisted living, but I see her often, and she still knows how much God loves her. She's recovering well, and I'm hopeful that she'll be able to be back in church in a few weeks. Sincerely, Lynn, one of our small group leaders. To all of you who are in small groups, thank you, thank you for keeping prayer, corporate prayer, an important part of our meetings. All right? Here's strategy number two, prayer focus groups, prayer focus groups. So every week in the bulletin, we list seven or eight small focus prayer groups, groups like our Tamajic prayer group, our grandparenting prayer group, our newest one, our Prayer for America group. There's several others in there as well that are listed each week in the Times. If you've never tried one of those, I want to encourage you to give them a try this week or in the coming weeks because prayer changes everything. You don't need to sign up ahead of time. You can just show up to any of those or call ahead if you want to to find out more information. But try out one of our prayer focus groups. Strategy three is our email prayer team. So we have a team of people over 150 strong People who pray for the request that you write down on your communication cards each week. All right? And we would like to add more people to that prayer team. To join that team, give us your email address, and just write down on your card, uh, email prayer team, and we'll get you on that list and let you be uh, getting that email from the office each week. Strategy number four is our pastor's prayer team. So this is one of my personal favorites for obvious reasons, okay? I send out a weekly email, usually on Thursdays, and I ask this group of people who are praying for me to pray for my sermon, and this is what I'm preaching on. Here's an outline. Pray for my preaching this weekend. If there's any particular challenges, I let them know about that. And then I usually remind them, if you're able, come join me a half hour before the Saturday night service or a half hour before the 8.30 service on Sunday. We prayed down the hall and Uh, But even if you can't come and be part of the face-to-face prayer, I'd love to have you be part of my prayer team, and we pray for whatever pastor is preaching that week. 
Again, write pastor's prayer team on your communication card and we'll, we'll get you on the list. Strategy number five is our leadership team prayer. Church leaders have an important role of prayer in a church family. So listen to this picture that, that we're given in Acts of the early church, and it says this, Acts 6.4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. See, prayer and teaching God's word are the highest priorities of church leaders. And our leadership team here is made up of our pastors and our elders and other ministry leaders. And the beautiful thing is there are people who are committed to these two things. And one of the highlights for me of serving on this team is the priority that they really do give to corporate prayer. The elders gather a couple of times a month and pray. Our vision team gathers once a month, and we always pray together. A couple of times a year, we meet together for a, a prayer and plan meeting, gathering, and prayer is a, obviously an important part of that, an extended time of prayer. So leadership team is committed to corporate prayer as well. Another passage that helps define the role of prayer for our church leaders is James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the elders of Lake City considered a great honor to pray over the members of this congregation in this way. Please let us know if this is something that you would like us to do for you, and we'll set up a time that's convenient to make that happen. Strategy number six is our after-service prayer team. At the conclusion of each worship service, we have a couple of people that gather down here to pray for anyone that comes up and would like prayer, either prayer for themselves and a burden that you might have or a prayer for someone else in your life. By the way, we're looking for a few more people to add to our after-service team. We need more help. Let us know if you'd like to be on that team. And please, by all means, come up after service anytime you'd like someone to pray with you and encourage you. We would love to do that. And then finally, strategy seven is prayer events. Several times a year, we, we have a special prayer event. And one of them, as David mentioned a few minutes ago, is our Christmas prayer event. It begins at 1245 today in the gym with a lunch. We're going to gather together and eat and then sing, and then we're going to pray together in small groups. We focus this particular prayer event on our Christmas outreach events, all of the things coming up in December that are opportunities for us to be witnesses for Christ. And we ask God to open up doors for us to invite friends and to be working in their lives. So that's today. And then the next five hours of corporate prayer are Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, and Wednesday morning. And those times are in your bulletin. We just, we're going to set up four tables and a big square right here in the front of the auditorium. And uh, we just invite you to come and have a hot drink and a Christmas cookie. And, and then we're going to pray for each other. And we're going to pray for the names that you write on, on these cards today. So I'll explain that in just a minute, okay? Please make it a point to come out to be part of our Christmas prayer event. And then finally, how to pray for the unsaved people in your life. So I usually go over this at least once a year. So by way of review, here's a few suggestions, a simple five-step plan for sharing your faith. The first one is to make a prayer list and pray every day for unsaved friends. Every year at Christmas and at Easter, we pass these invest and invite cards out. So if you would, please pass these down, the rows at this time. If you filled them out last week, you don't need to fill them out again. But if you haven't filled them out yet, please take one of each size. Take one big one and one small one. Write the same four names. And this is what it says. 
These are the people God has placed in my life who need to know and follow Christ. I will pray for them daily and invite them to attend a Christmas service with me. And then write down four names that God puts on your heart. Write them on both. Print your name legibly so we can read it, so we can pray for you. Drop the big one in the offering bag at the end of the service today. Keep the little one and put it someplace where you, you will see it and where it can remind you to pray every day over the next month. This is super important, so everything sort of builds off of that, the prayer list, all right? Step two is work hard at becoming a genuine friend. Praying is important, but it's not the only thing. So just as the Israelites had to march out in faith, so we have to do more than just pray. And so the second thing is to be intentional about developing friendships, okay? Whether that means coffee or, or an invitation to watch a game together or do a hobby, Invest in friendships. Third is meet a practical need, a practical need in their life. One of the best ways to earn the right to be heard is to be a servant, is to serve others. So offer to help. If you, if you uh, see a need that they have, take a meal to them when they're sick or uh, Help them with a project you see them working on around the house or visit them if they're in the hospital or just make a plate of cookies for them and take it over sometime this next month. Whatever God puts on your heart, ask God to show you what you can do and then have fun responding to it. Right? Number four is offer to pray for a pressing need. And you can do that in a couple of ways. If you're talking to them and they mention something you think is a need, something that you could pray about, just pause, put your hand on there, shoulder and offer a 10-second prayer for them. Or you can say, hey, you know, we have a prayer team at church and there's 150 people that love to pray for, for special needs. Can I give your prayer request to my prayer team at church? Most people appreciate an offer like that. And here's another way altogether. This is another email that I was sent this week and given permission to read to you. Each day of the week, I pray for different people. One morning when I prayed for a certain person, I just started crying. I couldn't figure out why I was crying, but I just couldn't stop myself. So I went to that person that I had been praying for, and, when I, and I asked if they were okay. At first they said yes, but then when I asked again and told them why I was asking, they shared a big struggle that they were going through. I believe it was the Holy Spirit in me that was grieved when I prayed for that person. And now I will be praying for that person every day. Friend, almost everyone is willing to have you pray for them. Almost everyone wants God's help in their life, especially when they're in pain. So offer to pray for people. And then finally, share the gospel with them or invite them to come to church with you. Christmas is coming. It's going to be a fantastic season of outreach here. We've got lots of great services planned and, and other special events planned in the month of December. Invite people to come with you and make them part of that. So let me talk about application, and, and I'll sit down, all right? Next steps. Number one is I will pray daily for the people on my list for the next month, next four weeks. It's one of the primary applications today, all right? I'm asking you to take home that little card and to pray every day for the next four weeks for, for those people God's placed on your heart. And if you're willing to do that, simply mark box number one. Next step two is I will add corporate prayer to my prayer life. 
So this is such an important part of our prayer life, and I've found that it actually sort of breathes life and energy into my personal prayer life, too. I've given you many different ways you can do that. Why don't you make a commitment over the next month or so to try one or two of the corporate prayer venues that we have here at Lake City? Next step three, I'll attend the concert of prayer today. Okay, 12.45 again. You can go home. You can get some things done. You can come back, and we'll take care of lunch for you. And we'll have you on your way about 2 o'clock. Especially if you've never tried it, our uh, concerts of prayer before, I want to encourage you to try it once and see if it isn't a really refreshing time. You don't even have to pray out loud if you don't want to. Next step four, I'll commit to at least one hour of prayer over the next three days. So of those five hours of prayer we have scheduled on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, come to at least one of those. Again, just right here. We'll, front doors will be open. And... Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Next step five was I will invite and invest in three people this Christmas season. Just exactly what I talked about a few minutes ago. I'm just sort of asking you to firm up your commitment with God's help to do that over the next month. Finally, I'm going to add one more that's not on your sermon notes today. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't already have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know for certain that your sins are forgiven and that you'd go to heaven when you die. The Bible says you can know for sure. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, it says in the Bible. You don't have to wonder. So if you want to experience God's love and forgiveness, I'm going to offer a prayer as I close today and invite you to pray along with me and make certain. So let's bow together. Please pray with me. Father God, you are great and awesome. You rule over the kingdoms of the world. And in your hand are power and might. No one is more powerful than you. Nothing is impossible for you. And you are a God who keeps your promises and you are faithful. So we worship and praise you. God, we lay our burdens before your feet. We often don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're asking for your help. We bring to you our unsaved Friends and family, we bring to you those who need to come back to you, the prodigals. Please reveal yourself to them. Please open their hearts. And God, I pray for anyone here today who's ready to make that decision today to trust Jesus as their Savior. Friend, if that's you, just pray silently along with me and say something like this. Father, I want your forgiveness and I need it. I confess that I have sinned against you and broken your commandments. And I put my faith today, not in my good works, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I trust his work on the cross to save me of my sins. Thank you, Father, for that amazing gift you offer to us all. And Father, we pray that this Christmas season, we will see a great outpouring of your spirit in our services here as a church, but also in our friendships and our personal conversations with others, all for your glory and your honor. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much.